tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink. Dio, 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 Dio. Like you were like, I'll never forget that Dio, Dio. And then you called him Dio about five times in a row. Sorry. Three, uh, two, go. Good morning, Swarm, and welcome to Tim Fall Hat. You know I am. You know I'm here to do. I'm here to rock. Rock. This is four ninety nine, folks. I can't believe that timing worked out. I really thought we would be doing a, like two a day for the last I week. I can't believe it either. I cannot believe that we are here on the verge of a big show and the big 500th. And we're so excited that you have all joined us. And, you know, we just keep banging out the hits for y'all. I mean, we take this very serious. We try to put out the best shows we can. And we're always trying to diverse, diversify the topics. So it's never boring. And uh, every time we leave, Johnny... Confirm this. Doesn't Sam say, is, was this a good episode? So if you ever wonder yeah, if this yeah. wasn't a good episode, just let Sam know. Be like, yo, this was great. Because sometimes he leaves here and he's like, Should, uh, was that good? Yeah, and there's a tendency for only the people that have negative shit to say to comment. You know, those yeah. are the people who are more likely to comment. If you ever find a gray and you were like, oh, this is straight right down my alley, let him know. Yeah, let's Sam hear about Sam reads it. your comments. Get, definitely go on uh, Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. Yes, yes. That'd be great. Guys, so much going on. A lot, you know, uh, Rockfin is on fire. Just go to Rock. I, I, I'm not going to whole, do the whole pitch, but, you know, $10, you get everybody's content. It's a great way to support the show. Things are growing, and, uh, you know, everybody's there. Just go check it out. It's at rockfin.com, whether it's We Don't Smoke the Same, Zero, Conspiracy Social Club, Broken Sim, uh, the greatest of all time sports talk. It's all there for $10. Great way to support the show. T-shirts are on fire as well. Uh, TinfoilHatT-shirts.com. Take a look at that sweatshirt, bro. Dude, we got some new hoodies. They're fucking that, fire. That loose shirt looks fucking like fire on a sweatshirt, bro. Anyways, guys, go check out TinfoilHatT-shirts.com. Support the show. New show. <laughs> uh, give me the loose is there. Uh, and we're always j- a new T-shirts. Great way to support show. We're always putting up new T-shirts up there. Uh, I'm very excited. You know, uh, there's a lot of free content out there, not just paid for content. If you're looking for other free shows outside of Tim Fall Hat, you're looking for more stuff to digest, more stuff to listen to, get the good stuff. Conspiracy Social Club. There are free episodes now available on RSS feed. Zero with Sam Triple. I just dropped uh, Mark's. Steve's new episode. That's available. Wait up. Tell them where they can get them new now. What? The old episodes. The old episodes are all on uh, on the RSS feed now. I'm uploading them as we speak. Anywhere you get a podcast, you can get Well, right old. now, I th- I, I'm working on that. It takes a little bit more, but okay. right now, it's definitely on Apple, Spotify, 
Uh, and go Google Play. So if you're a cheap fuck and you don't want to pay for Rockfin, you want to start all the way at the... St- at the or you st- don't realize what you're getting into and you want to make sure you like it, go check them out. Conspiracy Social Club. Uh, zero. Uh, Broken Sim is for free. Cash Daddy's for free. These are all the free uni- audio shows. You still u- the Union? The Union of the Unwanted. Yep. All free shows for you to consume. And all of them are there to help you ascend to a higher frequency. So go check them out. I also have uh, little uh, banners for you to click on to go on my website. Everything I do is on samtriply.com. Again, to see me live, you want to go catch the second show for uh, this weekend stand-up, go check, go to samtriply.com. We're going to be in Vegas this weekend. And the following weekend, I'm in Miami at the Improv. Grab your tickets now. Boise, Salt Lake City. Please go check out uh, my tickets at samtriplet.com. I want to come see you. I want to pack out Salt Lake. Man, let's get up. Let's get 150 people in there. Go grab some tickets. Join me. I got 175 tickets available. I would love to pack it out and sell it out so we can come back and drop the hammer of the gods on these unspecting fools. So <laughs> anything else, dude? Nah, looking forward to seeing everybody in Vegas. Let's dude, I mean, everybody's going to be there. It is going to be a who's who of Tim Fall hat. And again... We're going to announce the Mount Rushmore. Let's it is it. coming. Official. And then we're going to put them on a t-shirt, right? Their faces. And I'm very excited. Oh, are we? Is I just made that up. But that's a great oh, idea. I like that's a great Rushmore. idea. Put them on a Mount Rushmore t-shirt. Yes. That's good. So what I, uh, what I am wanting to say is thank you for voting me as one of the top four guests on my own show. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, but I'm not in the running. Either is... Larry Bishop Larry Gator. So please stop. No. Uh, uh, please stop voting for him. It's a waste yeah. of your vote. We'll it's put him happening. in the Mount Rushmore bathroom. How about that? Yeah, we'll toilet. put him in the bathhouse of Mount Rushmore. Okay. How about that one? <laughs> Calling us fucking Satanists. We don't blocking we, us, dude. dude I'm Southern Baptist. Get yeah, out my this face. Guy's Southern Baptist, dude. This guy's Southern Baptist, man. I mean, we just had a wonderful guest on. He's as Christian as they get. Oh, Christian. Super Christian. We have Christians on. We have real talks. Christian, dude, Gators is a Sam called Sam called Jesus shape-shifting Jesus, and he did not appreciate it. No, I called. Yeah. I, uh, I said kinda, I thought it was you a said star he was seed. an alien. You said he was in like an alien. I said type it was a he, star goes, he goes, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of close. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, <laughs> Stan Dayo was uh, a wonderful guest. I enjoyed this one. Johnny liked it. XG didn't fall asleep, so you know it was a great show. <laughs> I always check in to see how XG's doing. And just like if he's like... <laughs> it's the weed. Sometimes the weed's too good. Yeah, man. sometimes you go hard in the paint. Yeah. So that's uh, that's it. I hope you guys enjoy Sometimes people are like, dude, the intros are like 18 minutes. So what? They're fun. Something's We're just talking here, man. You can get the info. The info's there. Enjoy the show. Hope to see you in Vegas, man. Where are we staying? Y O Y O. The O Y O Hotel. Yeah, Hang come out get weird. Hang see, out with act us. like you, you think we have a Hooters in our hotel. Yeah, so and you know what I love? Yeah, we got a Hooters. You man. know what I love too? Sometimes what? the fans will be like, they'll sit in the lobby, like, you're here? I didn't know I was going to run into you. I was like, bro, we fucking told everybody that we were going to be yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite <laughs> is, uh, and by the way, if you think we're Satanists, we're Christians. We're staying in a hotel that has a Hooters, which is a Christian strip bar. Am I right, everybody? Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. Christian as it gets. That's the Lord's strip bar right there. And we got a steak and shake. So. And we got a steak and shake. So live in Oh, we're eating life. good. 
We're eating Living good. that life. So, guys, we love you very much. I hope you enjoy the show. And boom, next show, Big Five O. Oh, we, we, oh. we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. All right, let's get into this. Super excited to have our next guest on. He's a researcher. He's explorer. He's the Swiss Army knife of interesting conversations. Very excited to have him on. Please welcome Stan Dale. How are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. I got a bit of a windstorm going on out there, so if you hear the rattling, it's just the windows. Well, you know, all I got to say is I love everything about you already. So if there's a little rattling of the wind in the back, it actually works. I'm totally down with it. So thank <laughs> you so much for joining us on our big weekend here. Uh, we're very excited to have you on. Very excited to talk. For our listeners who may not know about you, Stan, what would you like them What What can you tell us about yourself? Well, um, I'm an author. I've written a couple books. Uh an explorer. I've been over to the Middle East and to Africa. Um, I lived in Australia for 30 years, and I was sent down there to work on a classified project with Dr. Edward Teller's people to develop um, advanced propulsion technologies, including anti-gravity and flying saucers. Well, I so, mean, bam, we're in it. I'm excited about that because it's uh, it is interesting. All this stuff in this day and age when we're seeing more and more of the government coming out with more information about uh, extraterrestrials, shall we say? I mean, and we know that UFOs and extraterrestrials are two different things. UFOs, unidentified uh, flying objects, and extraterrestrials are, that still is being explored on what that actually means. Does it mean people from other planets? Does it mean people from other dimensions? What does that mean? Uh, what does it mean to you, Stan? What, what are your thoughts on all that? Well, in the project, I was briefed. I never actually met the aliens, you know, face-to-face -face or anything like that, that that I know of anyway. But um, we were told um, that we have human-looking aliens here and that there are biological robots that are these little gray critters and stuff and some other forms, um, and that they are from a parallel universe. They, they port in here and port out. They are not like our elder brothers from space over at some local galaxy or, you know, star system or whatever. Um, they've been with humanity from the beginning, you know, of human civilization on the, uh, the Earth. Um, when I was in Tanzania, I uh, talked to the local natives, the Maasai and the uh, Batoga tribe, and they told me that God came down from the heavens into the Ngoro crater and created man there and then put man out to wander about the earth from there um the legends uh, that are carved in cuneiform documents and on stila in uh, samaria in the old uh, persian gulf region these things tell about advanced uh, technologies coming to earth with beings the bible talks about uh, beings coming here and mating with our women uh, the plato documents and the uh, the Critias and Timaeus debates that talks about the location of Atlantis, which had a super being and some of his mates there uh, breeding with women. And uh, so, yeah, all these things tell me that they are from a local area port uh, to a parallel universe. I mean, it, even the Bible says there are three levels at least to heaven and, uh, you know, upper where we are and then lower. 
Um, and so I view it from that, uh, that, that uh, standpoint. I completely agree with that. You say it in a much calmer voice than me. Uh, I'm a little bit more caffeinated, obviously, but I completely agree with that. I think the world is very interesting. Uh, we've been doing a lot of uh, episodes, and we'll get into some of your talking points because I'm very interested in all of it. it uh, how much of history do you think, sir, is a, is a lie? What we've been told is a lie. Uh, you know, like... You know, we've heard stories like, oh, we went to Iraq for weapons of mass destruction, people thinking bombs. But was it the ancient knowledge of Samaria from Mesopotamia that is in that area? Because you kind of mentioned some of that stuff. What are your thoughts on all that? Well, after I wrote my first book, The Cosmic Conspiracy, I was down in Australia, as I said, for 30 years. In there, I talk about, you know, conspiracies and Illuminati, that kind of stuff. And on the front cover of the book, it shows a pyramid with a, a floating crystal top to it with a red rose and an eye looking out of it. Well, now, are, are we being told, you know, what's going on in the back room? No. Um, at that time, I got a call from a man who was organizing a safari to Egypt for um, Prince Charles's father, the Duke of Edinburgh. And they had uh, funded a, a woman archaeologist in Egypt to find Alexander's tomb. And they thought they had found it. And uh, they had asked the, uh, the prince to come on over, um, you know, at the Duke, sorry, to come on over. And they were inviting me to join the expedition to see the front door of Alexander's tomb because it had something carved in it that was from the front cover of my book, obviously, which I, nobody had ever seen at that uh, grave before. So th they do things like this in the background, but looking at ancient history, looking at uh, aliens. I mean, Prince Charles had a copy of my book, The, uh, the Cosmic Conspiracy, where I talk about the alien present. Um, President Reagan had a copy of my book um, that his wife got for him. Um, and, and I've even been visited by a former Secretary of Defense uh, with, uh, um, well, when he was down visiting in Australia, going to China for a, a formal meeting, but he was former Secretary of Defense, not the active one, but we have at least three in the reserves all the time. And they told me that they had a copy of my, uh, it was he and Clinton were down there together, and they, they told me uh, through a, a civilian that they had copies of my book in the Defense Department and, and uh, in the White House, and that what I had outlined in that book was basically the plot, the, the thing that was going to go on, and had been going on for generations, actually but was now coming to a head and we're there at that point and when i published the book i which was the first time in 1978 and then last time in 2010 um i laid out a plan showing what is happening to the earth what is going to be happening to the earth politically and geophysically uh and we're there the there is a great deception at hand and uh, the ufo of course as you said does say generally speaking unidentified flying objects well for me uh most of the ones that uh, are reported are identified. I mean, they're either ours or the aliens, and we, we worked in concert with them, uh, you know, the research facilities in the um, early 50s and into the early 70s. And then after we built underground facilities for them and helped them get established here, they kicked us out of our bases uh, toward the, uh, the latter part of the 70s. After that, our technological developments and things were played close to the chest because we were dealing with these beings that had much more knowledge, ancient knowledge and technology, 
And, uh, you know, you just couldn't talk in a private room anywhere or outside without being monitored by them if they wanted to. So efforts to, de to develop our own flying saucer anti-gravity programs and advanced weaponry uh, had kind of come to a standstill. Um, that's one of the reasons you don't see this technology in use in the civilian occupations here, you know, uh, airlines and things like that. Um, but yeah, there are, there are aliens and there are craft they have built and are building and there are advanced technologies that alter the passage of time, the rate of time passes for an individual. Um, and their technology allows you to turn corners in a craft in the atmosphere or underwater even, but in the atmosphere at about 25,000 miles an hour, you know, like 50 G accelerations without breaking your ship or you. It's a matter of amortizing inertial changes over a longer period of time than a fraction of a second. So anyway, I, I diverse, you know, but um, I'm we're, all we're, about this, dude. I'm in. I, I'm in. I'm all in. I love this. This is awesome. Guys, let me tell you about our good friends at Blue Chew. Blue Chew. We're going to drop the hammer on you. Blue Chew. I don't like how you point at me when you're talking rock, about dropping the hammer. Rock hard. Point the hammer on, on XG. Bonus for Americans. Made by Americans. For Americans. Blue Chew's for you. Okay. And the shit you do. Whatever it is. That's up to you. We won't judge you. That's in the copy, huh? All yeah, that's all in the wow. copy. Guys, Blue Chew is a unique <laughs> online service that has the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, man. But the chewable tablet, man. I love it. I love to chew it, and I love to snort it, okay? You can take it. <laughs> no, 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 you what? don't snort this. This well, is not a snort. Don't, don't snort it unless yeah. you're a veteran like me, but don't <laughs> no, snort it. No, do not snort it. Do not snort it, Okay. Okay. okay, you take it anytime, day or night, so you, you can plan ahead and be ready whenever the opportunity arises. I like to play boner chicken with my friends, okay? We'll take it and we see who has the more awkward boner at the more awkward time. You're at church, boner! Okay, that's how it goes. Yeah. Never get it, never drink anything before you take a flight with Sam Tripoli. <laughs> yeah, boner city. <laughs> the process is simple. Sign up to bluechew.com, consult with one of their. They're licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you receive your prescription. Within days, it's just that simple. The best part, it's all done online. No visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in lines at the pharmacy, huh? It's garbage waiting in line, right? You see a hottie, and she's like, what are you here for? I'm like, oh, I got Blue Chew. You can't get boners? I can get boners now. Thanks to Blue Chew, dude. Blue Chew tablets are made in USA. USA, okay, and prepared and shipped directly to your door in a discreet package. Mine comes with fireworks, okay? That's how amazing it is. All right, so it's real simple. This is what we need you to do. We got a special offer, special deal for our listeners, all right? Try Bluetooth free when you use our promo code TINFALL at checkout, and it's just pay $5 in shipping. That's it. Try Bluetooth.com promo code TINFOIL to receive your first month free. Visit Bluetooth.com for more details, important safety information, and we thank Bluetooth for sponsoring the podcast. Thank you, Bluetooth. Bluetooth, we're dropping hammer on you. So I want to get so one thing I want to talk about is, and we've had a couple shows on this lately, is that if there are entities, we're working with entities. Some are working with us. Are there? Is there a battle between? For uh, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, so I'm just going to describe it as high frequency and low frequency. 
uh, entities. Are there battles between them? Because you mentioned that heaven is there's a higher level and a lower level. Are there entities from those levels that are somewhat, excuse me, working together or working against each other for control of wherever this thing is that we live on? Yeah, the short answer is yes. Uh, the Bible does tell you about a, a war in the heavens, meaning the upper level heavens, uh, the higher energy density place. And um, there was a revolution, a rebellion against the established order of that that universe. And um, the creator of our universe dwells there. Now, this war uh, started some time back, you know, like thousands of years ago, our time, and their time a few days ago. The passage of time there is different than it is here. Uh, in that parallel upper uh, universe, um, a day is like a thousand years here. It's, you know, it's to them, it's very quick passing, but for us down here, it's like thousands of years. And um, this, this war uh, is, has been fought in the heavens. It's now being moved down to here. They're, they're being cast down to this area. The, uh, the re rebels, uh, you know, the, the revolution, the rebellion, it's being fought here. And this is one of the reasons that these uh, quote-unquote aliens or fallen ones from the upper levels uh, recruited us, you know, humans, to help them build infrastructure to make weapons and defense to have a battle here on the Earth, a final battle, which the, the, there are a couple of them, but uh, one of them, the next to last one, the penultimate one, will be the Battle of Armageddon. But a thousand years later, there will be one more. But uh, this is to replace these beings, these rebels, to replace them with beings that would have be pure of heart and would follow the creator of our universe who dwells in that upper level. And that, of course, is, uh, you know, the believers who understand, who've been taught what he's about and what the options are for us here and are pure of heart, they will be taken to be with him to join his army to come back and wipe out these, these bad dudes that rebelled. Now, to do that, even the Bible, especially in Matthew 24, uh, Jesus talks about this. He says, don't believe everybody that comes down there saying that they are the Messiah. You know, uh, uh, go worship me here in the desert or in this secret place. He says, when I come, I'm going to come so openly, so widely known. It would be like lightning flashing from the left to the right, east to the west, across the whole planet. But in the meantime, beware of this great deception that is going to be put upon the human race in the last days of this age, which is now. He said that deception is going to be that there will be beings who will drop down onto Earth with advanced technology, uh, super weapons and that kind of stuff, and super uh, medicine, things to help humanity. And they will say, we are the ones who created you, our race. Uh, we can give you images, videotapes of the crucifixion of Jesus because we were there. Um, we are here to help you solve your planet because you've got tribal wars going on over religion and resources and, uh, you know, uh, military armament and that kind of stuff. We're going to stop all of the nuclear weapons so they can't go off. We're going to deflect all the asteroids that might be threatening your planet, you know, the meteors that come down. We are going to give you food for the whole planet and we're going to cure pandemics like the, the COVID series and uh, other pandemics that uh, will arise as time passes. Uh, we're going to stabilize your global economy and be sure everybody gets an equal income. And uh, it, it, there won't be any criminals because we'll track all the digital spending and, and earning. They're going to make these promises. And so Jesus said that in, in, in a kind of an overview. Don't be fooled by this deception. 
and a lot of people were trying to figure out what he meant, and that is what he meant. Um, this deception is so utterly, you know, convincing, and it's been building for several decades now, that people who have not studied these things will look at the arrival. Well, they look at it like the people did in the movie V, where the aliens came down. Um, they looked like us. They wore sunglasses, but uh, they said, hey, we're here to help you. And, uh, you know, it, it was a lie, of course. And they deceived the Earth and uh, were eventually defeated by a rather interesting powder that was formed from the blood of an alien and a human hybrid mix. But anyway, these things parallel what we're seeing now. At, 100%. Say again? 100%. I can, everything you're saying, I'm going like, oh, this is happening right now. I, can, I, I know that these are the things that they're trying to do, right? Yeah, I, I kind of wandered off uh, onto this subject, one of my favorite ones. But one of your earlier questions was about, do we believe, you know, that the government tells us the truth? Well, no, they don't. Sometimes, you know, I agree with keeping certain things from the general public because they would act, react badly you know, amongst themselves, uh, thinking that they were threatened by something that would hurt their livelihood or, you know, so they're going to start grabbing resources and assets, looting, and you'd have, you know, disorder, chaos. But you don't want that. And uh, so there are reasons to keep things secret. Um, things happened like with the Kennedy assassination. I was uh, I was there in Dallas after the fact, and I, I lived there. Um, and because of a connection I had with the FBI, uh, I was an under undercover informant for them in industry there. What? Um, oh, yeah, another story. But anyway. <laughs> I can hear oh, no. that story, Yeah, too. let's do it. <laughs> well, um you probably never heard about this, but during the uh, the Kennedy administration and part of the Johnson administration that followed, um, the FBI and Congress were at odds, you know, with each other. They, Congress wanted to get rid of um, J. Edgar Hoover because he'd become a dictator, uh, you know, with the technology and, and uh, information he had on various leaders. He could kind of control public opinion and, and elections. So they wanted to get rid of him. But then there was a, the side in the FBI that said, we like Director Hoover and we want to support him. Now, I worked for that side, and they were having an internal war for power. Uh, Kennedy wanted to take Hoover out of power. Now, I was in a place in industry which dealt with international arms and, and uh, trade agreements you know, between countries. And my job was to report the goings and comings of particular individuals from overseas and Washington to the Dallas area, which I did. And um, the, the, one of the things I, I discovered in a trip that came out of Washington was that the Washington area head of FBI, it wasn't like Hoover, it was the, the district manager there. He flew into our parking lot there in this corporation where I was working. And, uh, he and a couple of other guys came in and talked to the owners of the company, and uh, he wasn't even supposed to be there. And this was with Haldeman, which was like a, a hatchet man for, for Nixon. Uh, you know, Prior to Haldeman, there was a guy there, Mary Schottner. All these people were doing things that the public never knew about. And in some cases, I said they didn't need to know about. But when I reported what I saw this particular day when these guys landed by helicopter and came in for the meeting, I called into the FBI office there to talk to my control agent, and uh, he wasn't there. So I just left a message with his secretary. I said, look, you know, 
tell him I have some information to report on a helicopter landing here and some people, and uh, I've got the names when he's, he's ready. Well, I didn't get a call back that day, and that evening at home outside of Dallas there in Mesquite where I lived, uh, it was dark, and uh, the doorbell rang. And oh, so I went to open the door, and there was nobody there. And I called out, hello, hello, are you there? Nothing. Well, working as I did, I kind of thought, well, let me see if there are any cars that are aimed in my direction or whatever out there. And I thought, well, okay, I'm going to close the door. And I hear this voice from the hedges that surround the house to come out to the left corner. Now, quiet. Shut the door and turn off the light. Okay, so I did. And I went out around the corner, and there was my uh, control leash. I actually had a, a pair of them, but the, the domestic one was there. And he said, um, you stupid SOB, he said, you called the office today and reported that, you know, Airy Commander's presence and um, wanted to talk to me about it. He said, I told you not to call on the main switchboard, which I'd forgotten. But anyway, <laughs> he said, uh, you screwed up a lot of things because now then uh, – the people that are in this war inside the, the FBI, they know that I know and you know what they're up to. And uh, he, he says, it may be time for you to think about going to another country for a while. Uh, well, okay. Well, at that time, I had already been approached by Dr. Edward Teller's people in Dallas at my place of work, that same place of work. They knew I'd been working on privately, uh, anti-gravity and advanced uh, propulsion methods of saucer-shaped craft in, in my home lab. And so they sent a, a man to me that said, look, meet with, you know, uh, this guy here, um, you know, a, a doctor here in town that uh, was friends with Werner um, von Braun and with uh, Edward Teller and a few others involved in the space program. So I went to his office, Dr. James R. Maxfield, there in Dallas, and um, I was recruited. They showed me what they'd been doing to a degree already and how they had anti-gravity and stuff. And I remember sitting at the, the desk there when I was trying to figure out why I'd been called to this this meeting with this famous guy. And uh, I looked up on the wall, saw the photographs around his office of him in various places. And one of them was in a submarine drinking champagne with Ed Teller going under the, the pole. And uh, so I realized that I was probably in the presence of greatness, you know, the high and the mighty. And, uh, feeling rather like, you know, ill at ease because I didn't have my degree. I learned all my stuff after I left the academy and uh, never finished my formal degree. So here I am talking to these guys that, that talk in calculus symbols and stuff, you know, and, and make, you know, countries rise and fall and develop spacecraft. And so he said to me, uh, Dr. Maxwell, he said, uh, all right, boy, he says, uh, tell me what you're doing at home in your lab. And I said, well, uh, so I'm thinking, okay, I don't want to sound like a complete fool. I said, um, well, I've been kind of researching, you know, how gravity and electricity and, and magnetism kind of interrelate. Uh, and he said, look, you don't have to fence with me. We know you're working on anti-gravity. We've already solved it. We want you to join our team down in Australia. What do you say? <laughs> <laughs> and my reaction was just about like yours. I'm sure I kind of dropped my jaw and said, okay. <laughs> What's it all about? And then they explained, and, and a couple months later, they'd approved my uh, you know, entry into Australia and all that kind of stuff for me and my family. And uh, this is at the same time the FBI said to me, look, um, good place to hide Australia. Uh, you know, uh, take off. You know, get down there. And uh, I don't know whether Teller's team and the FBI are working together on this or not, but um, they both kind of hit me at the same time about time to get out of Dodge. 
well, Dallas in particular, but Dodge theoretically. But um, anyway, uh, I I left, and uh, I didn't trust anybody at that point, and I, so I left a week early on my tickets with my family and stuff. I went to the Lovefield Airport, and I got to Australia, you know, uh, a week ahead of time, and I uh, arrived in Sydney at night. And in those days, Sydney Airport, uh, after about 10, a, uh, 10 p.m., sorry, they closed the door. It was dark inside, you know. Oh, there, there and nobody working at it. Oh, man. Uh, they rolled up the sidewalk. So anyway, my my wife, two uh, children, we went in and sat down inside the, the terminal. And there was one little light over in the middle next to where they had the ticket counters and stuff, but nobody there. After we'd been there a while, this guy comes walking out uh, in an aircraft, you know, a, a, what do you call it, air commander's, anyway, a pilot's uniform for flying to the commercial airlines. And he came over and he says, what you doing here? And I told him, I said, we're a bit early. We were thinking about transferring our flight from here down to Melbourne. You know, the reason for that was I was trying to make my my path harder to, to follow if someone was going to take me out. And yeah. they thought I was going to Sydney back home. So I thought, I'll just keep on going down to Melbourne because I've got a friend of a friend down there that I can contact. Hey, everybody, I want to tell you about our friends at Lucy Nicotine, okay? Lucy Nicotine is a company founded by Caltech scientists and former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative, okay? Finally, tobacco has an alternative that doesn't suck, all right? Research and developed for three years to be made for people, not patients. Lucy has created nicotine gum with four milligrams of nicotine and comes in these three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate. Holla boy okay lucy has lozenges okay with four milligrams of nicotine that include the following flavors cherry ice citrus and mint they went hard in the paint on that okay and it's convenient and discreet products can be enjoyed anywhere on a flight at work at the gym on the go it doesn't matter okay so it's 2021 get rid of your cigarettes unplug your vape throw out your dip okay and get some Lucy nicotine gum or lingerie. Okay, this is the real deal. A subscription to Lucy comes directly to your door each month. It's so simple, and you don't have to leave your house because Lucy has delivery down. Okay, Lucy, Lucy lingerie and gum. Okay, also have FSA and HSA eligible, so you'll be able to spend pre-tax dollars on them. Okay. This is for the TFH Swarm, okay? Go to Lucy.co, C-O, okay? L-U-C-Y dot co, and use the promo code TINFOIL to get 20% off all products on your first order, including gum or lingerie, okay? This is Lucy.co. Use the promo code TINFOIL at checkout, okay? I also have to give this disclaimer. Warning, these products contain nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is addictive chemical okay lucy.co and be sure to use the promo code tinfoil anyway the, the pilot said well heck boy he says i'm heading that way in a couple of hours he says why don't you just get on the mock plane and i'll take you on down to melbourne and you can land there and do what you got to do so i thought right okay and so the sun came up and the place started to turn on and you know ticket takers were working and he walked me over to a counter. He says, uh, you know, whatever the girl's name was, she says, oh, hi, Margaret. He says, and look, I want you to put these people's ticket over to my aircraft. I'm going to fly on down to, to Melbourne. Well, I felt a bit better about that because here was a guy that they knew at the airport, and uh, he was a commercial pilot, and it was a normal flight. So we followed him and got on the plane, flew down to Melbourne, got out, got a taxi, and I headed for, uh, I asked the taxi driver, I said, 
do you have a hostel here? Now, I don't know whether you know what a hostel is. Do you guys know what it yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what hostels okay. are. Well, some of the hostels are hostile. <laughs> <laughs> they leave a lot to be desired. But anyway, so my family went down there we, uh, to Melbourne, and we were taken to a hostel. And um, we slept for, gosh, maybe 18 hours because it was exhausting getting everything done to get there. And I realized we were still alive. They didn't blow up the plane I was on from Dallas, nor did they blow up the one, you know, from Sydney down to Melbourne. So I figured, well, that's a plus. Anyway, I contacted a friend of a friend there, and uh, he connected me with someone that could get me a car and a place to, to rent, and then eventually a place to uh, to work in civilian occupation until I was accepted into the, uh, the location of the, uh, the Teller Project. Now... It took me six months to get organized down there to get things ready and so I could wander off and leave the family provided for there. Um, and I was told to call the control agent in Melbourne, who was my uh, superior. And his name was Captain Sir John Williams. He was a sea captain and he was an industrial captain. I mean, he owned a steamship line and everything. And he'd been awarded a knighthood by the Queen for salvaging a, a lot of gold off the New Zealand coast during World War II to pay for the war effort. Well, anyway, Sir John... You know, I called him at home, and uh, his butler answered. And uh, so they, they'd been inspecting me, and they said, okay, look, uh, meet us in town in Melbourne in the city, um, let's say Thursday, I don't know what day of the week it was, but he says, um, yeah, and we'll meet you there at the train station. Come on in by train from the suburbs. So I did. And um, Sir John was a quite impressive fellow, actually. He's tall like a old naval captain. If you see in the movies, like Horatio Hornbore, you know, tall. Yeah. And, uh, he was cool. He was really impressive. And his driver, his driver was even more impressive. He was shorter, stocky, and he looked like odd job in the, in the James Bond movies. You know, he was fit. He was the driver and the, the garden protector and whatever. And so odd job uh, and Sir John and I drove over to a, a place to have lunch, which is called the Australian club. And that's where all the high and mighty behind the scenes, people that do things they never tell you about have lunch and, little private parties and whatever and smoke their cigars, drink their port. And, uh, so anyway, you know, there are a lot of people I, I found out later there in Australia that would kill to get an invitation to go in the building. Dummy here didn't know, but anyway, so we went in and, uh, we had lunch and, uh, one of the guys, well, in fact, a couple of guys there was Sir Henry Somerset, who was one of the founding members of what's called the CSIRO, the Commonwealth Scientific Industrial Research Organization, like, like like um, our scientific, you know, organizations here. Um, anyway, he was there. Um, and then uh, Jim, uh, a professor at, uh, at uh, Tasmanian University in English, and, uh, and then Sir John and myself, there were four of us at the table. And so we were discussing a couple of things here, and uh, uh, Sir John, you know, we've been talking about just – pedestrian type things, you know, the weather and uh, how was the trip down and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then Sir John turns to Sir Henry, he says, Henry, you know, they're moving in on us. So I didn't know who they was or what they were doing, but I kind of waited for someone to say, oh, yeah, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. Nobody said anything. So I said, well, pardon me. I said, who do you mean by they? European economic community? Are we talking that? Because, you know. And they both looked at me like I'd kind of farted at the table, you know. Said, uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. And so Henry uh, 
so John says to Sir Henry, say, Henry, uh, want to go up to the, to the property this weekend for a bit of fishing? Yeah, yeah, John, that's that's cool. Changed the subject entirely. So I knew I'd supposed to have said something, but I didn't know what it was, and I said the wrong thing. So anyway, um, we retired from the dining room over to the cigar and port room by the fireplace and discussed for a while. And um, then we, you know, I was given instructions where to go to his office there in town to, the next week to get my instructions for the rest of the research. And um, it was attached to the uh, the uh, Fisherman's Bend Research Facility there in uh, Melbourne. They've now changed it to part of a, a national scientific group there. But anyway, uh, uh, and that's where I would hold my meetings and deliver my paper and stuff on propulsion. Now, a week or two went by, and I got another invite to come to town to lunch. And uh, Sir John um, was heading off for Jakarta on a mission up there. Uh, going to fly up for a few days, and he said, bring your paper with me, the one I'd written on the, uh, you know, uh, plasma production and the using a flying saucer by uh, generating a plasma field around it. So I took the paper in, and uh, he has a copy of it anyway, and uh, we sat down in the port cigar room for a bit, and uh, he, I handed it to him. He said, oh, is this my copy to keep? And I said, yeah, I've got copies. And so he opened it up and thumbing through the pages, got kind of, you know, ho-hum, ho-hum, yeah, right. Mm. Oh, I must show this to my engineers on the flight to Jakarta. We'll be in touch. And that was where he saw how I'd done the cross-section of the flying saucer and the plasma craft and how you formed an insulated uh, plasma circulation around it, like breaststroking to achieve these high speeds and various other things. And that's not anagravity. That's a plasma propulsion device. But anyway, you know, time passed. And um, the I, I learned more from the organization and also from uh, one of the security guards, well, a couple of them actually, that... Uh, you know, are the, the odd job kind of people. Oh, and I forgot when, when he was going to Jakarta there, we were there in the Melbourne Club, you know, you know in the room where I gave him that, uh, the paper I'd written. We walked out together to get to the car, the Mercedes, where odd job was, you know, the driver. And so he opened the doors for us. We got in and uh, we were driving over to the train station. And I said, boy, you seem to know a lot about me and my life and family and everything, uh, Sir John. And he says, boy, we know everything. And he reached over with his right hand into a pocket in the side of the door and pulled out this file like this. He said, this is you. And I kind of was, you know, Mr. Stun Mullet, because I, I thought I was halfway around the world from the United States, but he had everything there. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. It was an exciting life. Um, he, uh, when they started moving in, the aliens started moving in on us, and, and uh, that's what they were talking about, and kicking us out of our bases. Um, the plan was to take a couple of us, at least in Australia and England, to break us out of the organization, destroy our files, our presence, and, and so that when anyone came into the organization and investigated uh, and took any files away from the project, they would not see my name or this other fellow at Oxford. Uh, we were being turned loose to hold the information and tell people what had happened uh, to us, to the humans working with this. And um, after that, I, you know, a few months after that happened, I, um, I realized that uh, things were getting a, a bit tense because someone broke into the house and brought daylight when I was away and went through all my papers. And um, so I, you know, I, I thought, well, it's time to retire and hide again. And this time to adopt, uh, you know, another personality name and whatever. Uh, and I'd met with uh, a former Australian uh, 
military guy that was a security type guy that had worked uh, with, um, well, it was before ASIO, uh, the organization before that in World War II. But anyway, he he taught me how to hide in plain sight uh, and, you know, to get away from people pursuing me. And uh, I, I used his advice, which I've not really ever made details of it public because some of it, you know, I might want to use again one day. And it, it did work. Anyhow, I escaped uh, Melbourne one night at midnight and drove several hundred miles away in, in one hit and uh, hid in a small town in, in Adelaide for mm, probably four or five months and uh, got my act together there and uh, joined with a couple of other people. They were well, hippies, you know, that drove one of these uh, hippie bands with uh, Peace, Love, and Harmony and Flowers painted on the side of it, you know, a Volkswagen band. And, I uh, grew a beard and grew my hair long, put one of these little bandanas on. I was, you know, a cool hippie. Guy. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> let me let me tell you, I never did. You know, uh, in those days, I'd never even smoked, and I still don't. But um, these guys uh, had wonderful supplies of weed in those days, and uh, <laughs> sitting around campfires. And we left from there, went out in the desert, heading over to West Australia, Malabar Desert. And uh, I remember sitting at the campfires on occasion, get a whiff of the stuff, and They'd be so high, I mean, they'd nearly falling over, but they were happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, I, and I learned a lot, you know, uh, about life from these people. They were, they were cool, and uh, I, so, I often think of them. Yeah. So when you were thinking about who do you think was broke into your house? Um, if you hmm. had to guess. Russians... Um, so well, who do you think it I was? knew later I had a friend there in Dallas that uh, that uh, covered for me and took communications from me uh, the way we'd set up so that I could find out what was happening back home and stuff my wife and children had, been, uh, had flown back to the states by that time they were gone but um, uh, Tom my contact there um, had a restaurant and uh, like a takeaway place uh, tacos and um, FBI came in one day and uh you know, want to know where I was, and uh, did he know? And he no. ASIO, Australian Security Intelligence, they were after me from that branch there in Victoria because each branch, each state branch of the security and intelligence organization operated under different ideas of how to run things. Um, over where I was, the Catholic Church influence was heavy. They were kind of liberal. Over in Perth, they were like, you know, like Texans. They were cool. And uh, they looked after me over there. But anyway, Perth, Vegas. Yep, I've been there. It's I love Australia. It's a wonderful place. It's going. Hey, you've been to stuff. Perth? Yeah, I have been to Perth. Well, you know what I'm talking about. They're, yeah. they're just our, our kind of people. You know that, that still think and are irrational and uh, stand up for what's right. Anyway, the Russians. Uh, I'd, I'd heard that they were coming uh, for me. The Vatican even sent a, um, a Jesuit uh, enforcer uh, to get me in the desert. He, he did actually catch me. Um, let's see. You got ASIO. caught by the Jesuits? Yeah. yeah. Damn, rather, dude. Well, it was interesting. He was sent to kill me. He wasn't sent to find me. He was sent to kill me. And uh, I, I remember the night uh, very clearly. We were out in the desert here. The, the, my hippie friends and I sitting around a little campfire we built, and the headlights of the cars were on. And we were close to the, to the West Australian border, but we had another day or two travel before we get there. And... Uh, we see this car in the desert. It's so dark at night. I mean, you can look up and see the stars, but down on the ground, it's uh, black. 
And so anybody coming from a long distance, you'd see them because they'd have their, their headlights on to navigate. And uh, we saw this car approaching for maybe five minutes. And finally it came along, came along, came off the dirt road we were on and into our campsite. And the guy gets out and, you know, another one of these odd job looking guys, bald headed guy, but, you know, very stocky, well built. And he came over and introduced himself with some name. I forget what it was. And uh, it was his real name. I found out later, but um, uh, we sat around the campfire and talked and uh, the other guys smoked their dope. And uh, this guy got over and sat next to me on the rock or the log thing I was sitting on. And he leaned over and whispered in my ear. He says, uh, he called me by my real name because I was going under the name of Noah Davidson at the time. He called me my real name in my ear, and he says, I know who you are, and I've been sent here to kill you. Well, that made the conversation liven up a bit in my mind. I thought, holy cow, where do I run? I can't get away from this guy. And he said, but don't don't panic. He says, I, I know they, they've put you in the hypnosis program. You've been hypnotized, and I know what they've done, and I'm going to let you go because I, I really think they've done you a bad deal. And uh, I'm heading over to Perth. I know you're heading that way. And if you see me over there, don't act like you know me in any public situation. But, you know, goodbye. You know, good luck. And he got in his car and drove off. And I went and changed my shorts. <laughs> <laughs> so so he thought that you had been hypnotized. Like MK yeah, Ultra? Said, I, can tell. No, I can tell. He said, I watched you this evening, you know, around the campfire. And, uh, you know, you've been conditioned. And, uh so I, I know that some of that did happen at the Air Force Academy, but uh, beyond that, I don't know what uh, what they did. Um, and uh, I know that they were what they allegedly did was to teach me and several other cadets at the academy how to read information projected on a screen uh, so uh, so fast that we would read like 100 pages a second, something like that. And uh, let me just turn that off here. Uh, sorry, this is our office, and we're we're doing business here. So, anyway, um, yeah. So the this this flash reading had put a lot of stuff into us, into our minds. Uh, that it took us days to assimilate at, at night while we were sleeping. You know, to take all the information and uh, code it into our brain. So that was part of the program that I thought we'd probably been hypnotized in. But other than that, I I, I don't know what he was talking about. Um, I do know that while I was at the academy one afternoon after lunch, my mathematics uh, professor there uh, called me up. You know, he came to my squadron area and he said, "Look, I want It was on a it was on a Sunday. That's when it was. I'm going to take you out here and, and uh, have a chat with you." So he took me out of my squadron area and drove up to a, an overlook, a, a cliff kind of thing, looking over the academy. It was just the two of us, and he said, "There's a group of us, and uh, I'm." That are going to do, and I, I was listening, and they said, and that's all. We'll, we'll go on back now. And I had been hypnotized in between those two uh, phrases, and uh, I'd asked him, you know, when he, I heard the first part, there's a group of us. I said, what kind of a group? Like a, you know, a club or what? He says, no, not exactly. But I'm going to tell you things now that won't make sense, and, and then that's when I don't remember the rest of it. So. Um, he was a German uh, uh, by birth. Uh, Eisman, Captain Eisman was his name. Let me ask you something. Let me ask yeah. you something. What is, if you had to describe what what the world actually is like? There was a movie that you would think is more what the world is actually like. Is it 
you know, Da Vinci Code? Is it Men in Black? Is it all those things together? It, it like, it, I always say, like, you can't see it until you unlock that level. And it sounds like you've unlocked a lot of levels that the average person has not unlocked. So you've seen a lot of stuff. So based on what you've seen, the interactions you've made, and which I want to get into some more of that stuff, but like, what is the world actually like in your opinion? It's a mess. <laughs> All of the above that you mentioned, plus some I'm probably not even aware of, but look, the Teller program, you know, the anti-gravity program and stuff like that, that was not an American thing, you know, solely. It, uh, we were joined outside of the normal political realms. We were joined by um, New Zealand, uh, Canada, uh, United Kingdom, uh, Norway, uh, uh, Russia to a degree. I'll explain it in a minute. And what was left of Germany, you know, West Germany, uh, Australia. Um, and, and there was a consortium of industrialists and scientists and engineers that had an underground, you know, government, if you wish, an existence. And... Uh, like the Russian guy that was equivalent of Dr. Teller on our team was Dr. Andrei Sakharov, and a physicist uh, involved in the, uh, the advanced propulsion things. But Russia would not let him come out of the country or leave his home, in essence. They kept him pretty much bottled up over there, but they let him develop and pass technology to them to, to, to use in this you know war with the aliens. I, I call them aliens, but they're fallen ones anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, the world is full of this kind of stuff and, and uh, very, 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 very wealthy controllers of our planet. And one of the things that I must stress is that a lot of us know now that the conspiracy theories have run throughout the mainstream of, of, of the population. Now we're aware that something's rotten in Denmark. You know, the governments can't be trusted. And, you know, your program is about a lot of that kind of stuff, the conspiracies. Well, the details of the conspiracy, some of it may be false or manufactured by people wanting publicity, but it is there, this invisible government. Now, what people that don't know any better are going to cheer about is when these quote-unquote aliens reveal themselves officially to the population of Earth to save mankind from A, the Illuminati, uh, B, from, you know, things that would kill us with disease, pandemics or whatever, and from nuclear war and from an asteroid impact and from famine and, you know, go on down the list. People are going to cheer when this group arrives and appoints a human to head up world government that is for the people. And when this new world government gets rid of all of the illuminists, you know, the bankers and politicians that were crooked, kills them, gets rid of them. And people will go, cheer, cheer, yay. We always knew it, and we're so happy we got rid of the bad guys. But this is why Jesus said, beware, this is going to be a great deception. And, uh, and he put that codicil in there. If someone says, you, if they're me, come see me in the desert or the secret place, don't believe it. Because when I come, everybody will know it. Everything will know it. And that's the message that I, I, I want to be sure I, I share with you and your audience today is this moment is coming when the official announcement uh, of the alien presence is going to be made. And this first lot are not the good guys, even though they'll, they'll look like it. And that's why I mentioned uh, earlier, Johnny, about the, um, the, the movie V. You know, it was a perfect example of what's happening. Uh, so, is, it, is this along the lines of what is known as Project Bluebeam, would you say? Well, Project Bluebeam, yeah, would have been, yeah, 
something like that, um, uh, you know, a, a portion of the whole plan. Um, yeah, it's to, to fool the people like everybody do in Cuba, dropping leaflets, you know, and saying, that, you know, uh, the, the soldiers of Mary, you know, in, in the, the Catholic uh, idiom, are coming to, to help you there in Cuba. So lay down your arms and, and, uh, and join with us when you see the sign for Mary. And, of course, they're going to protect a, uh, an image of, you know, the uh, typical picture of Mary, Mother of Jesus, up in the clouds. And uh, that was that was going to be the signal for them to lay down their arms, quit fighting, and come join you know the United States and other troops that were there on the shores. But yeah, Blue Beam was was a test. Uh, tests were made you know with the projections up into the atmosphere, but now then technology has gotten way beyond that. And uh, one of the things that I I knew was coming, I did talk about it for forty years, was the use of IBM type systems, which are now called quantum computers, to create uh, a, an avatar, you know, a, a computer generated image of a person that may or may not still be alive, like a president, like Kennedy or somebody like that, and say, you know, here I am, the, the elder brothers in space have uh, kept me alive and uh, I'm here to help you. And it, it looks so real, that real time another actor could be doing the motions and, and saying stuff, but his voice would be, you know, a John Kennedy voice. His his appearance would be John Kennedy. Uh, I'm using it as an example. I mean, right, 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 right. Somebody else. We are but, seeing yeah. a little bit of that in these deep fakes, they're called, where yeah. they're putting, I mean. That Johnny Depp one, he's getting, he gets so good at it. Tom Cruise. Yeah, my that, bad, Tom yeah, Cruise yeah, one. Different white yeah. guy. Yeah, different white guy. Same uh, thing. <laughs> What now you do it to me and it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> so so we are you know whatever's going on with Joe Biden, it just it just either they're super sloppy, which is possible, or they're just trying to do nonlinear warfare and not have us knowing if we're coming or we're going. By, by sloppy do you mean like when that mic went in and out? Yeah, and, and when like the pictures come out of him on a sound stage. Like almost on like a stage doing the photo op of getting the vaccine. You're I think like, it's the second one. I really think it's the nonlinear warfare thing. Like that they're, they're just trying. They to just get, want our head spinning. Yeah, get us all, going back and yeah. forth. So all oh, like conspiracy theorists yeah. will be like, "Look at this!" And Not then the steady other, on your feet, you know. Mix you it know, up. guys, um, muck it up. If you if you look at what's happening with the administration, you know the administration uh, of Biden, those behind him. They're doing everything they can to destroy America, culturally, physically, whatever, financially. And you think, how can they be doing this? Why? America has to be taken down, you know, because they want to continue supporting Israel, defending Israel against its enemies like Iran or whatever, and eventually Saudi Arabia. And so we are seeing the groundwork laid to totally emasculate, destroy the faith, you know, and organization of the United States of America. And they're succeeding at it. And if people are still under the impression that Biden being in that office is actually doing the running of the country, they're mistaken. And if people are thinking that this move is really to help the United States, they are mistaken. It is. They're doing everything they can in the background to destroy us. And there will be a civil war, civil disorder that will, you know, become public fairly shortly. Uh, we've divided the United States, and the reason for that is so that a house divided cannot stand against China, Russia, and even Iran, 
who wants to join the, the, the fight and North Korea as well. Um, they've hit our shipping, our, our transport online, online, our food production, our energy production, our, our fuel you know, reserves, joke, um, all this they've hit. And it's weakened the country so much that people are asking, can anyone solve this problem? I mean, can they get rid of these people who have invaded us from across the borders, breaking disease and, you know, drugs and crime with them? Um, people in this country and in other countries as well are asking about their leadership. Can't you get your act together? Can't you give us a peaceful country or world? And when people are at their height of wanting help, that'll probably be at the at the the announcement that we're going to have nuclear exchange in the Middle East or it occurs between Israel and Iran, people will panic all over the planet. It'll be a global nuclear war. They're afraid of that. And that's when the people, not the the ruling governments and kings and queens and presidents and all that, convincing them of anything is a piece of cake. Convincing the masses means you've got to get down to the pocketbook level of every person on the earth, no matter what their religion, faith, language, whatever. And to do that, you have to threaten the entire planet and it's not just with drought or with pandemic or this. A nuclear exchange is quick. It would just it would destroy the planet so thoroughly, so quickly, that everyone knows that's not to be desired. So when Iran tries to take out Israel or you know force it like Jerusalem, with a nuke, <laughs> when, when they do that, that's all right. She's got it. When they try to do that, we're going to see that Israel will make a preemptive strike, probably on Damascus, and will nuke it because that's where a lot of the Iranian missile programs are being developed. Um, and we don't know whether Iran makes its own nuclear bomb or China gives it to them or you know Afghanis or whoever, but it's going to be a threat that will have to be met with a nuclear response by a preemptive response by Israel. When that happens, People all over the world are going to cry out for, oh, wait, 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 wait. Let's, let's call peace treaty immediately because this could escalate all over the world and we could all die. It could make nuclear winter that would destroy all the crops. We would all die. And this is going to be the driver that forces a, a, a temporary peace treaty in the Middle East uh, based uh, on protocols that were developed in the late 90s um, to have a seven-year let's suck it and see types world government. And that, that's coming very shortly. So watch for that. Watch for the destruction of Damascus. That will probably be the, the, the clue that tells you that, okay, uh, we're in the last days of this age. A, a world government by not good guys is coming. So you see you see, uh, it's not going to be good in the future. You think the darkness is going to take over. Yeah, for a period of about seven years, like the Bible says. Um at the end of that time, there will be a mighty confrontation uh, in the Middle East where the armies of the fallen ones, which in biblical terms, when the armies of uh, Lucifer or Satan are, are met uh, from the skies by Jesus and these armies, and they are they are destroyed with a nuclear-type weapon because their eyes melt out of their sockets while they're still standing in their bodies yeah, just, just a puff of smoke. Yes. Yeah. You want to be there to see that? Oh, I hope so. I hope <laughs> I can live long enough to see all that craziness. Uh, so, so interesting, dude. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Let me ask you guys: Do you, do are you guys uh, believers that the Bible is a, a historical document? I do believe that the Bible. There, uh, uh, here's what I believe of the Bible. I think the Bible is a 
it is a historical document. I believe that there are people at some point who manipulated the stories that get into the, got into the Bible, uh, that these dark arts, these Saturn worshipers, didn't include all the stories into the Bible. That is something that I do believe. That there are things that you are believe, left out. Do you believe that there that uh, Jesus was the the son of um, God in a in a earth woman? I believe that God, Jesus was a star seed that was sent down to to send um, uh, humanity in a certain direction. Well, that's close. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I started out like you saying, "Okay, well, I can see in modern times how the uh, various." political structures across the planet have tried to infiltrate the religious, you know, the theological schools, universities to bend them to a certain way of government and, uh, and, and religion, of course. And uh, so I thought to myself, how do we know, you know, what is true? Um, these are relatively modern documents, you know, in the New Testament, maybe in the last, uh, well, like 2000 years, they've been through several hands and translations. And so I started investigating. And I found out that there was a group of people in the Middle East called the Waldenses. And the what were their actually, names? W-A-L-D and Waldenses. It's a plural of Walden. But anyway, they memorized books of the Bible. Each person had a book to memorize. And there were multiple people memorizing the same book. And this is before, you know, the, the printing press was widespread. And so they came out of the Middle East walking memory banks of the, the, the Bible, word for word. Now, later they transcribed it in writing, and uh, when they got to the United States and to, to England and uh, portions of France. Later, when these sayings were compared to Dead Sea Scrolls and things like that that were in the ancient languages, that with few exceptions, they were word for word perfect. So I knew that those carried it through, that they weren't manipulated at that time because it was from ancient days. Then I thought, excuse me, where is evidence of God, you know, and a Messiah before that in the Old Testament? Where, where is there something about that? And I went back to the very first book, the book of Genesis, and said, okay, let's start there. Was there a Garden of Eden? You know, did God come down and create man of the red earth and, you know, create a, a wife out of his rib and that kind of stuff? Did that happen? Well, now, of course, we know that with DNA and uh, stem cells and whatever, that it is possible to manipulate a being from the DNA of another being. You can you create a, a clone copy. All right. So I thought, well, where's the, you know, okay, there's a big bang. God talks about, you know, that it, and the word was spoken by God, and these waveforms went out in frequencies, and they spun around and formed galaxies and sub-galaxies, you know, star systems or whatever. And that was the beginning. Well, that agreed with big bang theory. And I thought, okay, uh was that 15 billion years ago, really? I had studied some papers by a couple of astronomers, one Australian and one American, which said that the Big Bang occurred, and at that kind of like several millions of a second, that it suddenly expanded like that, and it wasn't fully expanded. It was just the start of the expansion, and it was so concentrated of, with energy and mass in it at that Big Bang that light waves and frequencies of light, in other words, traveled a lot faster than they do now in that very compact medium. In fact, at the Big Bang, I found that light traveled at 10 with 60 zeros past it times faster, 10 to the 60th power faster than it does now, and that it's been slowly 
on a, a curve like this, an exponential curve, been slowly slowing down to where it is now. And in the last two centuries, they've been able to develop that curve from the speed of light slowing down. Why is that important? Well, that means that the universe isn't 15 billion years old because they calculate that on the speed of light now. And when you change it by 10 to the 60th power, we're talking about tens of thousands of years, not millions of years for the entire universe. And ages of things that we try to calculate from sediments and from ice cores and trapped gases and things like that depend upon the speed of light being a constant all through time, which it was not. So that told me, okay, these stories about it, maybe uh, Garden of Eden in, in 6,000 know, BC, or maybe uh, before that, maybe a few thousand years before that. Okay, now I'm going to start reading Genesis and the entire Bible with a, with a different timeline. And then I said, well, where would the Garden of Eden have been, the beginning of all this, the very first part of Genesis? And using the clues that are there in the book of Genesis and some in, in uh, the book of Kings and Chronicles, I was able to pinpoint where the Garden of Eden was and is today. I've actually walked in the Garden of Eden with my, my team. We went on safari there. Now, I found where the four Where is it? Rivers, where is the Garden of Eden? It's in Tanzania in the Nguro Crater. It's in, the, in Tanzania. Yeah, can I, uh, am I able to share screen or anything with you Let guys? Let him share screen, Johnny. Yes, just a second. All right, let me see if I can find something here to show you then. Okay. I've got a picture That's of where wild. it is. That's wild, Garden Located in Tanzania. Okay, all right. Now, I'll share a screen here. This is uh, my website that I uh, use uh, with the What's the name of the website? Make... Say again. Oh, it's it's your website. It's uh, standodeyo.com. Right. And it's uh, share images uh, or show images. Yep. Uh, let me just see if I can get to that here. Yeah, uh, we come can on, see I gotta get the screen out of the way. Let me get over here to this and show you uh, our screen. Okay, there's our homepage, okay? And that home page right there, uh, why isn't it there? Hold on just a second. We've got to share a different this is screen great. with you. Okay, here we go. That's our home page, right? Bam. And over here, over here on the top of that, standeo.com, over here on the right, you see that big YouTube sign, yeah. and then underneath it, show, show images. Image. Yeah. Show images. Now, if you click on that, that's updated every week with what I'm talking about on the show, on the Hagman Show. And uh, in there, I have a segment on the Garden of Eden, which will go down to here. Okay. Now, these are pictures that I took on it, uh, on the trip. And this picture here at 75, image 75, is the Garden of Eden here, the Ngoro Crater. You can see it. Are you recording this so you can look at it later? Uh, we're recording it so we could, uh, we're showing it on the screen, but you're dragging a little bit. So, because we're still on your main page, which is show images. So Okay. Well, tell me when you see the screen come up. All right. So I'll talk about it. You're dragging over up. a little bit. You're dragging over. Drag over to show images and click it again, if you could. To me? Yeah. What What do uh, you see right now? I'd, well, I see the the map, but... Uh, oh, interesting. Okay. Interesting. That is weird. Yeah, I don't... Yeah. All right. Let me close this off here. Your videos. And, his okay. Face now, can, can you see the screen now? 
Yeah, we see the screen, but we only we see, see the your, intro. your main page. Yeah. All right, why don't you look it up? Go to Stan Dio, okay? S-T-A-N-D-E-Y-O.com. And then go to Click Images. And then he can describe us, and we can look at it. Uh, because for some reason, there's a transfer issue from... It is weird. his video's in sync. His face is in his sync. His face is in sync. It looks glorious. <laughs> um, but the screen sharing is not working. So what you're saying? No, but here, can you do it? I, I got it up right here, but then what, where do I click on it after that? See the click images? No, I clicked on that. Okay, so you can go to his screen real quick, Johnny. I have it up. Okay, I can't see it, but... Um, okay. He's... All right, so which one of the images do you want him to click on, sir? There we go. Um, Okay, if you go down to image uh, 75, second line down, picture on the right. Oh, Click on that and get down, a big picture of Tanzania there. Oh, there we go. Okay, All yeah. All right, now you, you can zoom in on that picture you know, with a little magnifying glass there. Just but on the left down. side, there is a plateau. It's called the Ngoro Plateau. It's in green. Just left can you click, see that? Uh, actually. Can you see it? Yes, we see hey, that right there. That's him now. Okay. Oh, now that's him. Okay, that's now him we see. Now. That's not me. Okay, yeah, now we see you. We're finally caught up on your video, sir. So we're watching your feed. Okay, so if I click like this, does that enlarge the picture? Yes. Now? Yes. Okay. Well, right here in this 100-square-mile crater, it's a collapsed volcano. The walls are all still intact on it, 2,000 feet tall. Right in here is the Garden of Eden. And this whole plateau here is where, the, well, actually, this is all the Garden of Eden, but that's where um, Adam and Eve were when they ate of the, the, the wrong tree. Now, that's called the Ngoro Crater, Ngoro Ngoro Crater, which means big hole in the uh, Swahili. <laughs> 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 and up at the very top of this, at 10,000 feet altitude, is a 20-acre area, which used to just blow up, you know, it's like a, uh, a welling up of water, shooting up, you know, like a geyser of water that shot up straight into the sky and fell down here and watered the Garden of Eden here. And part of it rolled over here and down to where my, my uh, cursor is going. Yeah. This, this river came out here and three other rivers came out here and chewed big holes in the side of the, uh, the crater up, uh, from a volcano up at that end. And right here, just off of the, the tip of the, the Garden of Eden complex is a mountain called Oldoino, the Ngai. And in the local tongue, that's the mountain of God, where the legends say God came down and planted and created man here and then planted him elsewhere after he'd been there and named all the animals. Now, this goes down. These three rivers here go down to form the great East African Rift, which, you know, leads to the, the Red Sea and... Uh, from there, the rivers, uh, one went to the left, two went to the right. And when everybody's been looking for, um, you know, uh, Euphrates River, one of the four rivers of Eden, trying to find the Garden of Eden, these guys have all been over there uh, trying to say that the Persian Gulf, you know, the, the Arabic Gulf, I think they call it now, but the Persian Gulf on, on the east side of Saudi Arabia, that is where the Garden of Eden was down under all that water. And it's the four rivers came from there. And my question to them has been this. If the four rivers came out of the Garden of Eden and flowed out throughout the rest of the world, why is there a big hole there? Why is it down and not up? Are you looking in the wrong place? 
And so I asked myself that, and I said, well, all right, well, let's create the Earth situation, the geography and everything, back like it was, as best we can tell, before the Great Flood. And I, before Pangea, you know, broke apart, before all the continents split, you know, spread apart, there, according to the normal time of, of geophysics, they say that Pangea, the land masses, all split apart or started in uh, 100 million years ago and took all this time to gradually move apart. I, on the other hand, said, no, there's, there's a lot of scientific studies that prove that the Earth used to be 75% of the dynamic it is now smaller. The Earth was tiny, you know, by comparison now. And that something caused it to expand up about a third of what it was to where it is now. And it caused the continents to all split apart. But it was catastrophic. It wasn't gradual. Something caused that breakup. So I put everything back together, the continents back together as best we could. And, you know, found out that India, the southern tip of India, didn't fit in between Africa and, and the uh, other islands of the Philippines like it should. And, and with Australia being up there. Um, then I started looking for what could have, could have caused that and found that India had originally been longer and had been hit by a, an asteroid oh, that snap. moved it up into China. And it, it, that's why we have sea fossils on the top of the Himalayan mountains. It's because they were originally done at sea level and were shoved up and India was you know, compressed into China. Well, there was an asteroid and I did find it. And uh, so by putting all these things back together again, I was able to trace those four rivers coming out of Eden, the Garden of Eden. And uh, uh, Euphrates, in the Hebrew, they refer to it as Ephrat, Ephrat. Euphrates, Euphrates, they, they double the, the word, the name, uh, in the locations in, in Genesis. And the reason is, in the ancient Hebrew language, they used two, uh, like a repeat of a word to call it a plural. So if you had cars, it would be car, car, saying that there was more than one car. Not how many, but just there was a plural of that. Anyway, so that, that river came out of the Ngoro Plateau, which we were just talking about, and went throughout the the world into these four rivers and uh, just looking here uh, let me just share a screen on what we can get here uh, yeah, that one there, that one there. oh yeah uh, before we get away from the garden of eden i gotta show you one of the clues that we were so 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 let me get this right you believe that it's the garden of eden because what makes you believe that that is the Garden of Eden? Well, a number of things. The four rivers are there that separate the, the, the major continents. The uh, garden area there, the locals knew that it was the Garden of, of Eden where man was created. Um, the, um, uh, the biblical clues for its location, even from what uh, King Solomon said about one of his gold mines, um, all point to that area. And it had to be a high place. It had to be a place where the, all four rivers came from one place, which that is it. And they flowed throughout, you know, the continents, you know, to make the continents. Um, the names of places, like one of the rivers that was out of there, it was called Cush with a K. And people that have been translating it uh, in the past have said, oh, that's Cush with a C, which is a Cushite tribe in North Africa. But there were two Cushes. The one with a K was the... Um, mm, the uh, European or, you know, like the Asian one uh, around Iran, Afghanistan, that area. When I started looking for names in that area of rivers and towns, I found that the name Kush with a Q, 
Kashan with a Q, um, you know, Kashan, Kashanite, all those things. I found 120 towns and rivers on the border of Iran and part of Afghanistan that was where one great river went around and formed that nation. And when I found that, I realized that it was the fourth, uh, you know, moving in uh, you know a clockwise fashion around from Ngoro Plateau, where I found that uh, the, the source of the rivers. And the Euphrates had been broken up when the Earth was hit by an asteroid, and the uh, the crust of the Earth shifted about 150 degrees and expanded, you know, catastrophically suddenly, and it broke the Euphrates over near. Um, uh, Israel, uh, but well, the Sinai Peninsula, more accurately, it broke it there, and the that's Euphrates so was now two pieces. Dude. So that's why they referred to it as Efrat, Efrat, two pieces river. So that's uh, clues like that I put together to get back to that location. So basically, we had one landmass. We got hit by an asteroid and broke everything. We made up. four rivers. That's that's interesting, dude. That's interesting. So there's a lot, you know. You you talk. I, I've talked to people who've done archaeology and uh, looked into ancient civilizations and stuff like that. And they talk about landlines on the planet. Um, and then Tesla understood that. Do you have any thoughts on that, sir? On the on Tesla. And what he represented and his belief that there was unlimited energy based on the, 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 the basically the electrical map of the, of the planet. Tartaria, like those buildings that Tartaria yeah, kind yeah, of talks yeah, about. Yeah, that stuff. Yeah, there's, there's a, a lot of energy, uh, virtually limitless for us, as long as the sun uh, is active and, and uh, you know, broadcasting the solar wind and, and electromagnetic frequencies that we're receiving. Um, yeah, he, he was right. And, uh, Dr. Uh, Moray uh, in Utah, Henry Moray, years ago, um, decades ago, built a device based on Tesla's work, the Tesla coil in reverse, and was able to capture energy from the waves in our atmosphere and our magnetic field as well, coming from the solar wind. And it was constant power, uh, daytime it would be at 100%, nighttime 75%, but it worked all over the planet. And yeah, Tesla's work was instrumental in uh, you know, developing uh, the, the concept of free energy with you know electrical receivers anywhere on the planet at any time. I have a lot of Tesla's work here in books. I've even visited the the uh, museum in Belgrade, and uh, they were allowed me to go into the private room there and go through a lot of his notes uh, that had not been published. Um, Top Hat and Kane were there, you know. He's, uh, suits and stuff like that and I, I went through some of his letters and notes he'd written to himself at the Hotel New Yorker um, in the 1900s about 1942 I think it was and uh, saw a lot of things that they've not made public yet uh, in propulsion in, in generators and turbines uh, brilliant man and he was a philosopher as well and uh, I'm sure he was pretty alone in his days uh, because there were just no one that was even capable of listening to what he had to say and understanding. Isn't it said that when he died, the government confiscated a lot of his shit? All this stuff. Well, there was a belief that Donald Trump's mm-hmm. uh, uncle came in and grabbed a lot of it. That's the time travel thing. That's what that goes into. Do you believe in time travel, sir? Oh, time travel is possible forward in time, but not backwards. There's an era in the, the general relativity that made him think that perhaps they could go both ways, but they can't. Oh, 
that sucks. I'd love to go back in time. Backwards would, backwards would make no sense. I mean, forward well, doesn't if, either. If you, the thing about backwards, if, so you, you have to the be a, this, the, the earth is moving in their model, then you have to actually get on the exact same time and space. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. oh, if you go back in time and it's not, the earth isn't exactly oh, where like it is now. Oh, you go back to, you're, you're, you're like just in the in middle of a Floating rock. in space, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? Johnny, you're so primitive, okay? <laughs> Stan and I am laughing at you. Tell him, what, <laughs> tell him where he's wrong, Stan. Please. Oh, ask him about it. Well, look, if I'm wrong and there is you know, backward time travel, well, where we are right now is a result of all time travel in the past that would have occurred. Yeah, that's a great point. Like, It's almost like that, that, that cartoon Rick and Morty's yeah. where it's just like they give these snake colonies ability to time, and then they're just time traveling all the time. So nothing would be said. That's interesting, dude. That's really what is time? Do you do you you talk about time? Do you know what time is? Um, something we created. Yeah, it's a. It's a. Well, I mean, if you ask me what I believe, I believe all time is happening at one time, but I could be wrong because it just sounds cool. <laughs> Let's look at it from a, a hypothetical point. Let's say that you're a god and that. All of creation can be put into slides, you know, uh, representing a micro part of time in a big slide carousel, one of these round things. And you are the creator and you're projecting these slides onto a screen. And as you project them, then that moment of time exists. Now, as the creator and the operator of the slide projector, you can reach in and pull out this slide here for that date, that time, whatever it was. And you can say, I'm just going to alter this part of that slide right there put it back into the carousel now i'm outside of time so i've changed time because i'm outside the loop i'm outside the carousel so in that respect time travel is possible by the creator and if anyone else in the creation down in that carousel thinks they can make time travel unless he okays it they can't change their slide because it has to go out of the carousel to be changed and they can't jump into another slide position just a hypothetical. No, I, I get that. I get that. It's very interesting, dude. The whole thing is like, oh, man, I just like it. Can we ask about the globe? Yeah, yeah. ask about the globe. Well, how do you, what do you think about the nature of the earth itself? Uh, globe or? Some people think flat. it's flat earth. Some people think it's no. a realm. This guy thinks no, it's, it's not, a pinata. It's not, flat. it's not flat, he says. Look, not, look uh, find evidence of the curvature of the earth before you know computers um there were you know shipping notes and logs you know from the sailors across the seas that talk about the horizon effect but i i got a hold of some footage that the united states military shot after world war ii just when they had captured and were testing the german v2 rockets they had over in the uh, in arizona in that area and they did a test launch from california at that time uh, of of a V two with the camera on board, and it went up, you know, over, you know, so you could see Los Angeles and, you know, San Francisco up that way, and in there was the horizon of the Earth, and it was curved in the picture, in the video. So I took the measurements of what's called the chord between the two points of the horizon I could see in that German, in that film of the German rocket, and calculated backwards to see what diameter of sphere would be, creating that, and it came back to to the Earth's diameter 
Earth's radius, you know, it is round. And that was before anybody cared to look at flat Earth, you know, seriously. So there was nothing doctored, doctored there. It was a just a military film of a test. Uh, and, you know, the pictures from orbit and from satellites, they show the curvature of the Earth. I know people get all excited about it and stuff like that, but some of them use the Bible to say that um, that the Earth was on the, you know, the pillars of Earth, that the Earth is a flat thing on pillars. And if they read the Hebrew, they care to look, read the Hebrew, they're talking about this, the uh, uh, rock formations that are under the continents that um, support the crust of the Earth, so the, uh, the continents on that. And they are not necessarily on a flat plane. You can have pillars uh, underneath continents, which we do have. Uh, the uh, diamond mines in South Africa, down where they are, they've got that black, heavy substance that makes diamonds. And we have that underneath the United States, uh, underneath China. These are the feet, you know, the pods that go down to the, uh, you know, to the crust and uh, joined with the mantle itself. Well, to play devil's advocate, what about the firmament? What is the firmament? Yeah. In the Bible, it talks about the firmament. What is that? Well, in the, in the beginning, when the, the sound waves are spoken into the fluid of space that we now dwell in, they formed these vortices, these complex vortices that organize the matter into smaller um, uh, spaces or volumes. And that's the firmament where the fluid became firm and was, you know, put together. I mean, you can see that in the old days, and that's the stars, that's the firmament out there that was where the word was made solid by these vortices that collected smaller uh, atoms and things together into galaxies and into uh, planets and stars, things like that. Interesting. It is such an interesting world we live in. We are entering very, very, if we're not, we're already there, but I think it's, it's going to get more and more interesting more and more biblical, more and more spiritual, and it's going to be very interesting. Stan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, I had a wonderful conversation. This was a wonderful conversation, and we'd love to have more conversations with you. Uh, for our listeners, outside of your, e your website, which will be listed in the descriptions, is there anywhere else that uh, our listeners can find you? Oh, I think YouTube. I have you look for Stan Deo on uh, YouTube and uh, my uh, my site there. There are quite a few videos that we've uploaded um, of the weekly shows and of the discovery of, of Atlantis and on Eden as well. And uh, I think you'll find it very. Entertaining. Where do you think Atlantis is? Oh, it's um, if you're still looking at the page there, the show images page. It's slide twenty. Will you it's, find uh, all all of all of Saudi Arabia? And it used to be disconnected, and it was an island, and there was an island offshore of that, which is called Damam today, D-A-M-M-A-M. -A -M. Um, fairly well proved within about 99% certainty that that is where Atlantis was and is. Wow. Let me see it. Oh, wow. You are a very interesting man, Stan. Very interesting man, and uh, I could listen to you forever. I appreciate you coming on the show. You can again check out his web website, it's standio.com. S T A N D E O. 
S T A N D E Y O dot com and uh, all of his stuff there. Stan, thank you so much for coming on the show. We greatly appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, guys. Likewise. You have a good day now. Thank you, guys, so much for tuning in. We love you very much. Hope to see you at the 500. Next episode, Big 500. Love you, guys. We go deep, homeboy. Open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Tim Foil hack. Tim Foil hack.